Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be with you, and if you're new here wondering who I am, I go through that every morning. I ran into an old friend back there that, uh, and I literally mean old, uh, he looked at me and he said, Mark, I didn't recognize you. And, and I said, I go through that every morning. <laughs> but it's great to be with you and uh, thanks for taking a chance on me, uh, taking the risk of being with us today. I want to show you uh, an image of a cross. And I want you to look at this. Uh, I chose this because it's just kind of rugged and thorny. Uh, we, we're used to having very elegant jewelry, uh, you know, that's a very beautiful cross. But the original cross was not that beautiful. And we're going to talk about two aspects of the cross today. The one you're very familiar with here in America, which is uh, forgiveness. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That that's what happened at the cross. Jesus paid as a sacrificial lamb for your sins and my sins. But we often stop there. And uh, I, as an evangelist, am guilty of stopping there, asking people, if you want to go to heaven, live forever, have all your sins forgiven, raise your hand. And you know, you stop and think about it. So what's wrong with that deal? You know, all it costs me is raising my hand. And like, wow, I'm, I'm definitely doing that. But oftentimes, uh, just like pharmacists, we don't include the fine print. This might kill you. And, and so Jesus often said, uh, if any man would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. And that wasn't the forgiveness part. That was the Inigo Montoya part of Princess Bride, sorry. Uh, uh, my name is Inigo Montoya, prepared to die. That when we follow Jesus Christ, that we are actually committing such a commitment that we would actually die for our faith. And that's oftentimes where people exit and go out the door because that's a very uncomfortable part. So today we're going to talk about opposition. How do we as Christians face opposition? And that's really where the church of Smyrna comes in. The church of Smyrna was about to face uh, persecution and Jesus is coaching them in that particular thing. I was raised as a younger brother and the beauty of being a younger brother is you are born into opposition. You have a, an older brother who's bigger and he's picking on you constantly, particularly my brother because he was picked on in school. And so he would take it out on me. And he would love to stand back because his arms were longer being two years older and, and play with my ears. <laughs> and, uh, and I would take swings at him and uh, I would miss until I was 14. And, and uh, so we, we, we kind of went through that. Uh, and, and I grew up in opposition. And then I became a junior higher. And I realized the whole world is opposed to me. <laughs> and we grow up in life and we face all kinds of opposition. People don't like our clothing. They don't like how we vote. They don't like uh, wherever, whatever, you know. 
Uh, but we learn to deal with it. But many of us in the church have not learned to deal with religious opposition because we live in America. That was why the pilgrims came here, was for religious freedom. And so we don't know how to deal with pushback. And thankfully, as we spoke about our partners uh, this morning in Egypt, we have learned, we've tried to learn it as a church from our partners around the world, in China, in India, Nepal, uh, Bhutan, uh, different parts of the Muslim world. How do you advance the gospel in a world that is actually anti-Christian or at least corralling Christianity? Don't advance this thing. And how do we do it right? So there's two aspects I want to talk about. One is what you know, the forgiveness of the cross, but the other is to take up your cross and follow him. Because Jesus said, he never hid this fine print. Jesus said in John 15, if the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. Pretty blunt. In Luke 21, 17, everyone will hate you because of me. So when I became a believer, I expected, I was at the age of 18, partying around, doing things that I would be ashamed to ever confess to a priest, um, and I became a believer, and I thought all my friends would be thrilled, and instead, they stopped inviting me to the parties. Instead, they gossiped about me and called me a Jesus freak. And even one of my dearest friends gave me a book of why I shouldn't believe in Jesus. I thought, what's up with Jesus? Why aren't everybody, why isn't everybody thrilled about this? So, as we turn to the letter to Smyrna, it's all about you and I carrying our cross. So let's start. And the beginning is, Jesus is telling us through this angel who's, giving us the word that he knows about your suffering. Again, in Revelation 2.8, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and I know your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the... Are a synagogue of Satan. Now, Jesus, right from the start, he assures us that he is bigger than any pushback, opposition, or persecution you and I may go through. Check it out. He says he's the first and the last. Why the first and the last? What does that mean? The alpha and the omega. Before time, he was there, right? And after this temporal time, he is there. So he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got little bitty baby. He's got you in his hands. So he's letting us be assured that even though persecution, and think about the persecution that the church has experienced over the last 2,000 years. And remember that in the 20th century, there was more persecution on the church than in all the 19 centuries previous to this, because we're enlightened and we're modern, right? 
it's what the rest of our partners go through around the world. And we need to know that Jesus is bigger than the persecution, right? In fact, he goes on to say not only that he's the first and the last, the beginning and the end, but he conquered death, who died and came to life. Any of you conquered death lately? No, 100% chance we all die. I know you're looking at me like, wow, I came to church to hear that? <laughs> it's a great wake-up call. We all, unless Jesus comes sooner, we will 100% die. But one person conquered death itself. Death itself is bigger than Hitler. Death itself is bigger than Khomeini. Death itself is bigger than all the genocides that have happened in the world. It, can someone conquer death itself? And it's Jesus. So he says to you, now, what's your problem again? Because even if you die for your faith in Jesus, he's already conquered death. So it's great assurance. Remember Romans 8? One of my favorite passages no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because he loves you. He's got you. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, whichever comes to you, neither angels nor demons, whichever comes to you, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be ever able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oh, nothing, nothing. Do you know what nothing in the Greek means? Nothing. <laughs> nothing can separate you and me. So imagine yourself, you see this bully coming up to you, and you realize, oh my gosh, he's bigger. Oh my gosh, he's more angry. Oh my gosh. He could really hurt me. And then you see this other guy come up behind the bully who's bigger than a sumo wrestler. And he looks at you and goes, shh. <laughs> how, do, how do you react now that you see this guy is going to take care of the bully? Whatever. <laughs> Not a problem. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's assuring you that you may go through tough times. There is no promise that you will never suffer. But the promise is that he's got you. He knows about it. And he also says that he knows your address. He actually uses the word Smyrna in the beginning to let us know that he knows about this specific church. Smyrna. Now, what is Smyrna? By the way, if you haven't named your daughter who's about to be born, you might think of that. It's a good name, Smyrna. <laughs> I'll be back in a couple of weeks to teach on the church of Thyatira. There's another name <laughs> you might think of. So Smyrna was a city 35 miles north of Ephesus. And by the way, you can look on the map here, that uh, Smyrna, it had this huge harbor, uh, was 
is the only city of all the seven cities mentioned. We did a tour of these seven cities years ago. It was a kind of a fun trip um, to take the church with us. And Smyrna is the only city that still exists today. Uh, different name, another name you might want to think of, Izmir, is the name of the city today. So it was huge, about a quarter of a million people. Uh, it had this har incredible harbor and this little mountain in the center of the harbor, uh, at the edge of the harbor, and around the mountain was the street of gold. It, without, I mean, it wasn't gold, but it was called the Golden Street that went all the way around, and pic people pictured it as kind of a necklace around a goddess. Uh, in, in, and in this city, and here's the uniqueness of this city, it's the first city to build a temple unto a Roman emperor, happened to be Tiberius. And it was the beginning of emperor worship. So it'd be like us starting to worship presidents. That we would go one step beyond saying they're king to now we're worshiping them. Hold that idea and I'll get to it in a moment. So Jesus says, I know your afflictions, I know your poverty, yet you are rich. You don't know how rich you are. So in America, we have a lot of values, but the peop thing that comes to mind when I talk to people who are here with green cards is usually not religious freedom as to why they're here. It's usually not uh, all the different things that we espouse as Americans. It's usually money. Boom, 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 money. Pink Floyd. <laughs> We're viewed as the richest country in the world, and if I come to America, I too will become rich. But if you travel, you will discover that poverty and persecution are Siamese twins. They go hand in hand because if you convert from Islam, from Hinduism, from Tibetan Buddhism, from communism, whatever your ism happens to be, to now espousing this other view, ideology, we feel threatened. The gods are going to be angry at us, and we are going to boycott your business. If we don't kill you, we're going to boycott your business. So those two things go hand in hand around the world. And so that's why Jesus highlights afflictions and poverty. It's a part of the suffering. Now, usually when we, as American Christians, talk about suffering, we talk about, oh, I'm really suffering, you know... My spouse is giving me a hard time. I'm really suffering because I didn't get my pay raise. I'm really suffering because I had to go to the hospital. And, and sometimes we'll say, the devil did it, and the devil did this, and the devil did that. But Jesus said, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. There's certain things in life we all get just because it's a fallen world. You with me? But he's specifically talking not about those kinds of, quote, sufferings, he's talking about opposition to the fact that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and he knows. But what he also knows that you and I don't know is that he sees you as rich. You made it. You're awesome. You just don't know it. You're the last to know. 
Jesus sees you as you ultimately are. Isn't that cool? He sees you as the ultimate you. My ultimate me is to have a voice like Aretha Franklin. <laughs> What's your ultimate you? Six foot six, good looking, whatever it is, but those aren't important to Jesus. The ultimate you is you are rich because of a relationship. Now think of it. What's important in your life? Probably not money as important as relationships. And among relationships, family, friends, the paramount one is your relationship with Jesus. And so friends, you are rich. And you will be rich in heaven. So he knows and he sees. And check it out. It says that I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not. But are a synagogue of Satan. Now those are harsh words. They're wake up words. They're hyperbolic words to, to get our attention. So who is Jesus talking to, about? Now let's be clear. Because some of us are Jewish here. He's not talking about an ethnicity just across the board. He's talking about a specific subset of radical Jews. You might call them Taliban Jews. Who are specifically against Christians. Who are anti-Christian and are doing something about it. They think they're doing it for God... But actually, they're doing it for the enemy, Satan, the devil. It's a sobering thought to think of how many times I have thought that I was doing something for God. But the way I was doing it was actually harmful to people and a tool of the devil. So that's what he's talking about, this subset. And to pick on us as Christians, our hero, the Apostle Paul was kind of the ringleader of this kind of small subset of Jews that were so against Christians that he would lock them up and he would have them killed. So what was the problem? What was going on? Well, we actually know this not only from Scripture, but we know this from extant literature, which means outside of Scripture history, of what was going on in Smyrna and different parts of the Roman Empire. So this subset of Jews were really concerned about this new sect happening called Christians, or the way. And why were they upset? For, for several reasons. One was people confused Christians for being a subset of Judaism. So image management, management branding says, yikes. These are Jews and Gentiles that believe Jesus is the Messiah. We don't, but they think it's all Judaism. So they were very, very much opposed to that. The second reason is that Jews had made a pact with Rome that when they were asked to say, Caesar is Lord, they were given a pass to understand that when they said the word kurios, which is Lord, that they just meant human king. But Christians specifically would not say that because there was only one Kurios, and that was Jesus. And so they refused to say, Caesar is Kurios. And they were killed 
for not saying that. And then the final reason was that as a Jew, no one can be God but God. No human can be God. And so they believed, the Christians believed that Jesus became a man and he was, in fact, very man, very God. And Jews thought that was blasphemy. So for those three reasons, these radical Jews were against Christians. So this is what they did in Smyrna and in other cities. They became informers of Christians. And they would turn them in to the Roman authorities and say, you know what? They will not say Caesar is curious. And so they would be brought in and asked to say that. And then when they couldn't say it, they would be imprisoned and, and to wait for their sentencing to death. There's actually a recorded case study of this. Uh, you're still there, right? <laughs> Bishop Polycarp, Polycarp of uh, Smyrna, 150 AD, so just a, a half century later but but soon enough where polycarp may have actually known either john or uh people that were close to john the apostle as he wrote this uh he would not say caesar is lord and he was brought into a stadium packed and the and the the literature says that it was packed with both Gentiles and Jews that were very angry because they were afraid that the, the, the worship of the emperor would uh, backfire on them as a city if, they, the, if Rome found out that there were people in the city who would not worship the emperor. So they were all gathered, and the, the persecutor told Polycarp, all you have to do is say, away with the atheists and we'll take you off of the stake that is about to be burned and you won't be burned to death. Well, Polycarp, whether you think he was right or not, might be passive aggressive. <laughs> he pointed to the stadium instead of uh, the people that Rome meant and he said, away with the atheists. So what was happening? Christians at that time were called atheists. Eh? Because Christians did not believe in all the other gods. And so they were called atheists who would not believe in all these gods, including God, of the emperor being God. And so Polycarp just thought it was a moment of humor to wave to the crowd and say, away with the atheists. And that just enraged them even more. And they burnt Polycarp on the stake. Amazing. So, what about us? Well, think about it. Sometimes you become a Christian, your spouse isn't, and they give you pushback. That's, push, that's persecution. That's opposition. Sometimes in your family, my, my dad said, where did I go wrong? that you would ever do such a thing and become a Christian. Uh, I've known a lot of friends that have gotten pushback from their friends, maybe in the workplace, maybe at school, but usually not to death. 
So what's going on here? In America right now, to just kind of fast forward, we have the idea that we have religious freedom, and that's protected by the Constitution, right? But what's going on right now in America, and this takes us back to a philosopher, theologian, Paul Tillich, is that he said in a secular world, your God is not just a religious deity, your God is your ultimate concern in life. So we have a lot of ultimate concerns that are happening in our country, and some have no deity in, attached to them at all. Their ultimate concern is their political affiliation. Their ultimate concern is their financial success. Their ultimate concern is their gender. Their ultimate concern is their sexuality. And we are a, a, a sexed out society. I don't know how we got here, but it is huge in America. And yet we have an ideology that says, no, 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 whoa, 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 time out. It's none of those things. It's God, and we are made in God's name. That's what makes us so unique. So we have a different philosophy, the theology, ideology. And now these ideologies are clashing, right? And there's going to be, and there has been in some states in our country and maybe even some schools, and maybe even in businesses, opposition. Because you're expected to have this particular ideology. And Paul Tillich, and more recently David Dark, would argue that that's a religion. It's a religion just like in this day where Rome worshipped emperors. It's, it's a religion that's clashing Brackish water, salt and fresh water. You with me? And so we're here right now. And in my lifetime, my short 30 years on this planet, <laughs> I have seen our culture become increasingly restrictive. When I accepted Christ during the hippie movement, you know, it's just like whatever. Everybody gets to do whatever they want. But now it's no, we're expecting you to have this ideology in mind. So we don't know wherever, where all of this goes, whether it's in your marriage, your workplace, your family, or in your school. So this message is particularly important to us. We don't know where it goes, but we know who knows us. He's got you, he's the Alpha and the Omega, he has conquered death itself. So whatever bully is coming after you, whatever. We know who's bigger than all of this. So Jesus advises us. What do we do? He actually coaches us with some advice here. Verse 10. Number one, don't be afraid. Fear not. No fear. Remember that brand? Don't fear of what you are about to suffer. It's In other words, he's saying it's actually going to get worse. What I love about Jesus, he doesn't whitewash anything. You have friends that say, um, oh, I'm sure you're going to get well. I'm sure it's all good. And they're not sure at all. <laughs> they're just saying it. 
I'm sure your marriage is going to be fine. I'm sure you're going to conquer cancer. I'm sure everything's going to... Unless you know it from God, don't say it. Because I'm, I'm a guy that I just want to know the truth. And then tell me that God still loves me. So Jesus gives us the straight scoop. It might, be, might get worse. I tell you that the devil will put you in prison and to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. But be faithful and even to the point of death. Some of you are going to die. All right. <laughs> there it is. It could be bad. So what's he saying? Don't be afraid. Jesus consistently has said, don't be afraid of those who will destroy the body, but those who can destroy the, the soul, the body and the soul. And no one can destroy your soul. That's, that's God. He, he's, he's got you. So it's, if I, and this is the good sense of the fear of God, if I respect and revere him more than man and what they can do, I'm good. The second thing is he says, your suffering is always going to be for a limited time. Even the people that suffered under Hitler, even the Christians that suffered under Turkey, the Armenians, uh, two great genocides in our, in our world in the 20th century. It's a limited, it's always a limited amount of time. So the 10 days here, it was a symbolic term for the full cycle. It's going to go the full uh, metric cycle of 10. So relax. It's a limited amount of time. So what do I do? Don't be afraid and be faithful. Be faithful. What does that mean to be faithful? We're usually faithful about proclaiming the gospel. Be faithful to the message of the cross, that that is the way of salvation. But a part of that cross is being faithful, listen, to the message of the cross, which is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. So as a Christian, if I'm to be faithful, I never, ever, did I say ever, ever, ever have the right or prerogative to hate Never. I'm called to love my enemies because that is what it means to be faithful. Now, as Christians, we usually are really good with language. And I've had many, many people tell me, I, I don't hate anybody. I just dislike them intensely. <laughs> so look at your heart for a second. What ism? Do you dislike intensely? What ism do you hope is not at your next neighborhood party? What ism do you... Jesus ate, it says, with sinners. And we're, we're just like... And I'm not saying everybody's under the category of sinner, but he was able to eat with people who differed with him in terms of background and lifestyle... For the hope of winning them to Christ. Right? That's why we're on the planet. So what's typical 
in the church. And we don't mean any harm, but what's typical in the church when there's opposition is to circle the wagons. That's the old covered wagon metaphor of just like, we don't know what's coming, circle the wagons, load your guns. I call it the castle. Pull up the drawbridge, get up on the walls of the castle. If it moves, shoot it. We'll ask questions later. And so we're really good at shooting. I hate them. We don't say that. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. Did I tell you? I don't like any of it. But my question is, and I get that, who do you know and who do you love? Well, I don't want to be around them, and I don't want my kids to be around them. How are they going to hear the gospel of Christ? I was in Cairo when the Muslim Brotherhood took over the government of Egypt. And I just remind you, this government, America, was on the wrong side because democracy had voted the Muslim Brotherhood in both political parties were supportive of the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. And the Muslim Brotherhood was behind destroying and burning 70 churches and persecuting Christians. And so I was there when one of our partners called a meeting. And I can't tell you all the different groups were there because it was secretive. We, we arrived at one place and they asked us to take out our SIM cards out of our phone, and then they took us to another place because they knew that the government was watching and spying through cell phones. And we met, and I heard our partners pray, God, don't let the devils win, the devil win. Now, what would that mean? For us, it usually means save our lives. What they meant, and they prayed, don't let us hate our Muslim neighbors. Because if we hate those who have a different ideology, the devil has won. And I heard them pray that, even though they were the, the sufferers of the persecution. Are you with me? So the cross that we carry, this wonderful, wonderful cross that we believe in is we carry it into persecution sometimes, but it means that we never stop loving, even if it's to the point of death. Loving does not mean agreeing. It does not. And if you've been to the Arab world, you know that the Arab world is very outspoken and unafraid to be outspoken about what they disagree with. And even Christian Arabs against Christian Arabs, they're very outspoken. Celebrate your, your differences, but we keep loving. We get out of the castle, and we go out. We be faithful to both parts of the gospel. He died for me. He loves me. I want to tell everyone, and I want to love them. And I may be persecuted, and I carry my cross daily, and I follow him. So, how does this end? Reward time. Isn't that good? You always want to know what the reward is if I do my homework. The reward is you will receive the victor's crown. Now, 
there was in Smyrna something called the crown. And it was this mountain that had the gold road all the way around it. And it was viewed as the crown. And so it actually would mean something, can I say a Smyrnian uh, Christian, that, wow, it's going to be this. But it's also pointing to the Olympic Games, not, not kind of a royalty crown, diadem, but rather the Olympic Games that you would receive the victor's wreath upon your head, that you are first place on the podium, and Jesus is the one giving you the crown. And if you want to do a, a word search on crown in the New Testament, you'll see that probably ten times this idea of you being crowned is going to happen. Folks, it's going to happen. You are going to be crowned with eternal life. You're going to be crowned in the presence of Jesus. You are going to live forever and be crowned and reign with him. So he says that in all of this, uh, even death can't hurt you. That Death itself, which is the ultimate enemy, can't hurt you. There's an expression that people have used, even my son used it in a song, and that is die before you die, because you can't die later. What does that mean? I think it just, for us as Christians, it means reckon yourself that you are called to follow Jesus and to carry your cross. That you, when you decide to follow Jesus Christ, you may die. Grab a hold of that, realize it, and then now follow Jesus and have a nice day. It'll help you. There's a, there's a term that's used in psychology. I use it actually often, but I wouldn't recommend it to you. Uh, it's called implosion, where you actually prescribe the disease. And you tell the client, how about this? And uh, so usually what happens, let's say someone's got a fear of heights and they they're afraid to cross a bridge. And usually there's baby steps that are taken, uh, you know, let's go out on the bridge about 10 feet and then run back and tomorrow we'll go out 20 feet, run back and, and you'll gradually overcome your fear of heights. Uh, implosion would just drive you out in a car into the middle of the bridge and look down. <laughs> That's called implosion. And it works for some people. Well, Jesus actually used implosion in his evangelism. People say, I want to follow you. No, you don't. Foxes have holes, birds have nests. I don't know where to lay my head. Think about it. I want to follow you, then take up your cross and follow me. I want to follow you because you do amazing miracles. No, you don't. I don't want people that are just following me for the good stuff. I want people that are faithful and are willing to die for me because what you will die for, here it is, is what you will live for. Wow, I just noticed some friends of ours that are back visiting from Saudi Arabia. Uh, that's a tough country to be a Christian in. And it's increasingly a tough country for us to live in here. So Jesus says to you today, in the words of Princess Bride, my name is Inigo Montoya, prepare to die. You may, if you follow Jesus Christ, 
you may die. Just nod your head if you understand what I'm saying. That's implosion. And now, relax. Have a great day. You, you already faced. Yeah, and you're thinking, I even gave money in the offering for this message. This is horrible. <laughs> but you faced the worst that can ever, 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 ever happen. So now go love. So now go give the gospel. So now go live your life for Jesus Christ because you faced the worst. Let me close by telling you a great story about our hero, Stacy Pfeiffer. I didn't ask for permission for this, so uh, I hope it's okay. But uh, years ago, we were struggling to preserve the cross on the Mount Soledad. Do you remember, some of you? Uh, it's a war memorial, and uh, there were different pushback opposition groups, mostly atheists, that were against a cross being on any government land. Now, if you've been to Arlington Seminary, Cemetery, uh, you've been to a lot, I mean, there are crosses everywhere, you know? Um, so, but they're against it, and they wanted it taken down. So there was a group of Christians, many different groups, that would pray surrounding the cross up there down in La Jolla. And uh, thankfully, the cross is still he here today. So this is what happened. Stacy had her group there in her varsity uh, surrounding. And, and, I, and I got to, that's one of the early times that I got to know her and her brave heart uh, to take a stand. But for me, it became a picture of, yeah, that's what all of us will die for. Not the memorial itself, but what the memorial symbolizes that God so loved the world, he gave his only son to die on the cross, and I will take up my cross and follow him. And thankfully, this cross is there to this day. It's a great, great story. The land was transferred from government property to privately owned property, but even then the atheists wanted it down, even when it became private land. So pushback, what do we do? The cross is our message. So this is what I want to take you to take home today. The cross is our message, and it's what we carry every single day. Can I get an amen? Let's stand and pray. Father, we do thank you this day for your love. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that, Jesus, you yourself didn't shrink back from the cross. You loved us all the way to the end. And I pray, God, in these critical days in our church, in our community, and in America, that these would be increasingly days that the church shines that we don't stop proclaiming the love of God and living out the love of God. And that God, if and when we experience opposition, that we would be faithful to you 
to the end. Holy Spirit, grant us this power in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together. Our affection, our devotion, pour out on the feet of Jesus. Our affection, our devotion. Bless you, my friends. May it never be said at North Coast Calvary that you missed out on the fine print. We'd give it to you straight, right? Because these are the kind of disciples that are needed today. That believe in the cross and share the love of the cross with difficult people. Remember how difficult you were? And sometimes you are. And yet, when we're misunderstood or oppressed in any way, we understand that it's part of the deal. So may God be with you this week. May God fill you with a fresh love for the people that are like you and the people that are not like you. May God empower you with boldness to share the truth of Jesus Christ in every situation that opens up to you. And may you have the courage today and every day to take up your cross, look at Jesus and say, yeah, baby, let's do this thing. Let's do this thing one more day in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, come and get it. We would love to pray for you. God bless you guys.